expect the unexpected. That's one of the things I often mention about Etznab and the Etznab Tresina. And it generally doesn't disappoint. We'll look at this after I welcome you to episode 31 of Navigating the Energies of Life, a podcast that looks at how the energies of the Maya calendar are at work in the world and how they apply to daily lives. Once again, this is a system for keeping track of both days in the regular sense and energies, as the energies of the days are key components of this 260-day system that involves the interconnecting and cycling of 20 unique solar forces in combination with 13 unique numerical powers to create a count of days called a Zulkan. Each of the 260 days in the cycle is unique and every person carries the energetic imprint of the forces that were in play at the time of their birth. Both the blog and this podcast follow a timekeeping tradition involving Tresinas. These are not seven-day weeks, but rather periods of 13 days each, each of which has a particular theme that ties in with the first day of whatever Tresina we happen to be in. At the moment, we're in the Etznab Tresina, sometimes known as Flint, since a flint knife is one of its symbols, often depicted as an obsidian blade with a little face on it. This flint knife symbol is quite apropos to this time frame, as this Tresina was traditionally aligned with the idea of sacrifice and separation, an energy zone that often brings duality into play in some way, often even in dramatic ways with Etznab or flint, serving as the knife edge between two opposing forces. This can play out in many different ways and often has a kind of shock and awe aspect to it. It can be quite an electrifying type of force that can often bring sudden change, often quite dramatic often with significant implications. The influence of this energy flows through all 13 days of this period, but it's the first day that often gets your attention right away, or turns out to be highly significant in retrospect, such as when the patent for the concept of a telephone system and telephone instruments were issued to Alexander Graham Bell on one Etznab in 1876, the very first day of this time frame. Or when the Golden Gate Bridge first opened to pedestrian traffic in 1937 on one Etznab. Or, sadly, when the greatly loved Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated in 
1948. Again, on one etznub. Sometimes, as in that last example, the one etznub event is just plain shocking or jaw-dropping. This might have been the case, and probably likely was the case, in 1909, when someone invoked Joan of Arc during a blessing of the sick ceremony in Lourdes in France, in hopes that a healing would occur for a woman who had tuberculosis and for whom nothing had worked to help cure her in the past. The story goes that at the first invocation of Joan of Arc, the woman opened her eyes. At the second, she sat up on her stretcher, and at the third, she felt she had been cured. All this apparently was attributed to Joan's intercession. Then apparently there were two more miracles of a similar nature over the next few years, and in 1920, Joan of Arc was officially canonized as a saint, also on an Etznab day. Another jaw-dropping one Etznab event took the form of the Phoenix Lights incident over Phoenix and other parts of Arizona, Nevada, and parts of Mexico in 1997. Apparently thousands of people witnessed a large, mysterious formation of lights in a huge V-shape flying overhead that many described as otherworldly. It went on for some three hours, part of a series of similar events that spanned some 12 hours, but couldn't be explained. That was one of the most dramatic UFO incidents ever recorded. And then, of course, we had our own celestial event arriving right on schedule on one Etznab, coming in at this time with a super flower blood moon, a total lunar eclipse with the moon being fully in Earth's shadow. I was just posting my blog for this Tresina when this was happening, and it was very exciting, even invigorating. At first, the moon was really big and bright, and from where I was watching it, it was dancing with the clouds. Didn't know if I was going to be able to see the eclipse at first, and the moon was so bright, but then the eclipse came in, and it was very dramatic. It was fully dark, just before 4.30 a.m. Quite awesome to see. And at this point, I am going to insert hearty congratulations to a friend who gave birth to a baby girl exactly at the time of the eclipse. Absolutely fantastic timing. Very, very cool. Well done to both baby and mama. I should also direct your attention to my blog with regard to this, Jacina, as I begin that blog with a discussion of the face in the center 
of the Piedra del Sol, the Aztec sunstone. Many people think of this fantastic sculpture as the Mayan calendar, but it isn't. It does contain hieroglyphs pertaining to the same core Mesoamerican timekeeping energies as the core, the 20 core days used in the Maya calendar, but those in the Aztec sunstone are indeed Aztec glyphs, not Mayan. And there are a number of variances between the two systems, which I'll get into a little more in the courses that I'm developing. More on that later. But right at the moment, I want to just focus on the face in the middle of that stone, which is thought to be that of the solar deity known as Huitzilopochtli, who is the calendrical name of one flint. Master Mayanist David Stewart, one of the world's leading epigraphers in the field of Mesoamerican art, has interpreted this face as possibly being that of the Aztec emperor Montezuma in the guise of a Huitzilopochtli, as if the emperor has assumed the identity of the sun god as a symbol of his rank and power. The flint part is very much part of this overall image, and I've included a detail of this in the blog, and I'll add that to the podcast post as well. Keep in mind that the symbols associated with flint relate directly to the essence of Etsnab, this Tresina, as would be seen from the Maya perspective. In that sunstone image, you can see the face which has a flint knife tongue, and right above the diadem on the forehead, there's something called a juitzeli, a kind of um, pointed turquoise crown. And then in the little notch directly to the right of the crown is a hieroglyph for one flint, or one etsnub, as the Maya would see it. It takes the form of a little oval-shaped knife with a face on it, with a small circle for the number one right beside it. More V-shapes representing the rays of the sun fan out around the overall circular image. Also, that face is sitting right in the middle of a larger hieroglyph that symbolizes Earth itself. I was thinking with regard to this one Etsnab eclipse with the earth inserting itself between the sun and the moon that metaphorically it's as if the earth itself was functioning like a flint knife separating the moon from the light of the sun. Which also seems to tie in quite dramatically with the two patrons that you can see in the image of this Dracaena that I put into the blog. One is called Tonatia, who represents the movement of the sun through the daytime sky. 
This is an aspect of Huitzilopochtli with both ideas sort of brought together here. Tanacha, sometimes known as for movement or for earth, and that is seen in the larger glyph that surrounds the face. But then we also have that one flint glyph tucked in there. So this image seems to be representative of them both, in addition to what David Stewart suggested with regard to Montezuma. This is one of the things about Mesoamerican art. Some of the monumental pieces like this have so much going on that they can be challenging to decipher completely. Anyway, back to the patrons. So we have one as a personification of the sun and the other being Miklantikutli, Lord of the Land of the Dead, which could tie in with the moon, which is devoid of its own light and only shines through reflected light. So one patron or overseer of this Jacina is oriented around the heat of the sun and the other is oriented around cold and darkness, which was dramatized by the eclipse. It seemed to me that the eclipse was revealing in a dramatic way the duality between these worlds and these ideas exactly as shown in so many of these kinds of mythological images. As we can see in that image from the Codex Borgia in my blog, and here I must thank again my friend Richard Balthazar for reconstructing that image to bring out the details of those two very complex figures. I should also mention, as I did in the blog, that as rare as this alignment, this eclipse, might seem, this isn't the only time that this kind of thing has happened during this Tresina. When I was writing this, I noticed that at least four blood moon eclipses have taken place during this Tresina over the past eight years. So this seems to be the eclipse Tresina. I'll have to check further into that later to see if there are other examples. Anyway, what's easy to see is how dramatically this idea of knife-edged duality or separation can play out during this period in so many ways. So keep in mind, even during the other days during this period, since this energy continues to work with all the others all through this time zone, Sometimes this plays out with extra drama in conjunction with other energies, perhaps a little extra flash or electricity or even outright fire, as in the major fires that burned along the U.S. West Coast last year during this Tresina. I remember seeing a picture of San Francisco at that time when the sky was bright orange the smoke was blocking the sun and making the city seem like night even during the day. Several small towns in both Washington and Oregon were destroyed. 
Things to keep in mind as it never hurts to be a little extra cautious during this time frame. Now, to our present reality and how this ties in. One of the ideas associated with this duality theme is that of sacrifice and separation, which can play out in many different ways, even to the point of sort of severing realities and thereby triggering massive change. This is exactly what happened two cycles ago when, on the last day of December 2019, on the ninth day of this time frame, the World Health Organization alerted the world about several pneumonia cases that were, in fact, COVID-19 cases. That was the first official announcement about the coronavirus. That was the Maya calendar day known as Nine Kimi, which is quite startling since that is the energy of the number nine to do with longevity, an energy that has long-lasting implications, working in conjunction with Kimi, which is associated with death, death, and or new foundations. A bit like Miklant Gutli, that patron that I just mentioned. So when that nine Kimi energy comes into place again, which will be on June 3rd this time, we will be revisiting the forces that really signaled the beginning of the pandemic and the start of the adjustment to living in this alternative reality. It took one 260-day cycle for the global number of COVID-19 cases to reach over 28 million and the global number of deaths due to COVID-19 to reach over 900,000. That brought us to early September of last year. Currently, one cycle since last September, bringing us to today, India alone has close to 28 million cases, with the global number being well over 170 million. And the other day we learned that even Mount Everest has reported at least 100 cases. So it looks like there's really no escape. But in many areas, the numbers are now trending downwards, which is a huge relief. And many areas are reopening. But, but let's not forget that this war is not yet over. As I record this, there have been well over 500,000 new cases recorded globally on this day. The U.S. has recorded almost 34 million cases with over 
600,000 deaths. And in some areas, the numbers are still trending upwards, such as in Argentina that has had over 40,000 new cases today, and Brazil, where the numbers have been high for a very long time. I found that major conflicts, such as wars, and this is a war, often play out in cycles of three, or multiples of three. So it may take at least one more cycle of 260 days before we really come closer to the end of this. The other thing we're seeing now, which could be part of this next cycle, is the fallout from what has been going on. <clears throat> on the first full day of this time frame, on Wednesday, May 26th, a former chief aide to the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson gave seven hours of testimony to a parliamentary committee on the UK's handling of the pandemic, saying that many people died in horrific circumstances, as he put it, because of the government's failed response to the pandemic. He claimed the government was slow and chaotic in its initial response to the pandemic and accused Johnson of failing to learn from early mistakes by resisting a second lockdown in the fall as virus cases soared. He said that officials overall, in his own words, quote, fell disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government in a crisis like this. People did not get the treatment they deserved. Unquote. The UK has recorded almost 128,000 coronavirus deaths, the highest toll in Europe with Italy being close behind. And the UK experienced one of the world's deepest recessions due to all of this. Another day of importance is three, a how. Today's energy. This can translate as the activation of enlightenment an important burner day oriented around the idea of announcing the fire. This is the first of four AHAO-related burner days that run from here until July 27th. So whatever is in the works would be announced around this time. There are 20 days between each of these burner stations, with the next one coming up in the next Tresina. With regard to Thriahau, this is often a point where clarity can suddenly break through on important issues, with Ahau's full sun illuminating things that previously may have been hidden. And a number of things of a shocking nature have been illuminated or verified on this day.
I will mention two of particular importance. One is the blocking by U.S. Senate Republicans of a bipartisan investigation into the January 6th insurrection in the U.S. Since only a small handful voted to support the investigative commission, in essence, all the rest were voting no, basically voting against democracy. This is significant. If these people, so-called elected officials, can't even vote to investigate an attack on themselves, an attack on their own capital and seat of government, an attack that caused the deaths of five people and injuries to some 140 others, some severely, and that isn't counting the emotional and psychological damage, there is really no hope for them. We have yet to see what Democrats will do to work their way around this to establish their own commission, but the fight for democracy is definitely on. The second thing that has been illuminated on this day, and this is really dreadful, is the situation in Kamloops in BC's interior, where the remains of 215 children were found on the grounds of a former government-run Indian residential school. One of those horrific places where children were incarcerated because that was really what it was and suffered extreme abuses just for being indigenous. Representatives from First Nations communities across BC are now gathering in Kamloops to conduct ceremonies of remembrance. And in Ottawa today, Parliament stood for a moment of silence after this news. Since those schools were in existence for some 87 years, the government needs to be doing much more than simply taking a moment of silence. And they are working on it, since all of this represents one of Canada's darkest chapters. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission that concluded not too long ago includes many important calls to action that are being worked on. But this is something that does not just apply to Canada. Aspects of this can be found everywhere globally, where Indigenous peoples have suffered from this kind of oppression. We are sure to be hearing more about this in the future. As I said, this is an announcer day, a kind of heads-up type of energy. More will certainly follow. Note as well that this marks 10 cycles, or 2,600 days exactly, since the blood moon total lunar eclipse that coincided with this day 
in this Trisina in 2014. In terms of this sacrifice and separation theme that I was just talking about, one thing that is going on at this time on BC's West Coast that has become a real focal point is the fight to protect one of the last stands of old-growth forest in the Ferry Creek area in the southern part of Vancouver Island. So far, over 130 people have been arrested for blocking logging activities, and the conflict over this issue is intense. On this day, hundreds took to the streets of Victoria, BC's capital city, to protest against logging in that area. One journalist writing about this put it well, in a way that ties right in with the essence of these energies, in that this issue is forcing people to think and act differently. It's requiring people to shift from thinking about forests as banks of unending resources to, as she put it, a new lens that focuses on ecosystem health and the preservation of ecosystems. It involves a huge mental shift that requires changes or shifts in policies, management, and related forestry practices, as well as actively acting on those shifts. In terms of what is now taking place in the Ferry Creek area, activists are so dedicated to saving that forest that they're using what I just heard as sleeping dragon tactics where protesters secure themselves in some way so they can't be moved. I just saw a news report where one woman had cemented herself to a road in her efforts to protect that area. As I said, things can get quite intense and dramatic during this period. Tied in with this, we have the UN's World Environment Day coming up on 11 Lamat, the 11th day of this time frame. This is a heralding type of energy related to leadership, very apropos to their focus this year, which is ecosystem restoration, apparently launching the UN's decade of ecosystem restoration. With the environmental clock ticking more loudly every day, this seems like a really good move. Okay, I haven't mentioned anyone born during this period yet, and yet there are a lot of good candidates. So first, let's look at a couple of people born under the energy of Six Akbal, the sixth day. 
Here we're dealing with the energy of the number six, which I sometimes refer to as an everywhere kind of energy, since it pertains to the six directions and is associated with water. This is a force that can flow out, so to speak, in every direction. Six Elk Ball tends to be a complex type of energy that can have multiple interpretations. It can be seen as darkness, or night, or sanctuary, or even temple, in the sense that this energy might be oriented around the idea of secrets, or be drawn towards things of a mysterious nature. Or there might be the sense of someone who carries this energy perhaps being quite private. But remember that this is the sixth day within the Etznab Dracina. So this six Akbal energy is working with that Etznab energy. So the tendency here is to perhaps work in a flashier way than might be the case with some other Akbal-born people. This, for example, is UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson's Maya birth energy. And for Boris, that Etsnap influence is often quite noticeable, as he has a penchant for drama and seems to know how to get himself into polarizing situations such as Brexit. He's seen as quite a controversial figure in the UK, stretching well beyond traditional conservative politics, with some people seeing him as sometimes pragmatic, others seeing him as more opportunistic, and some seeing him even perhaps as an entertainer flailing around in politics. Overall, he represents a bit of a conundrum which really fits in with the mysterious aspect of this energy. Senator Bernie Sanders in the U.S. was also born on Six Akbal, and we can see some similar characteristics. One of our most memorable images of Bernie may tie in with that keep things close to your chest idea, as when Bernie was sitting alone in his chair at President Biden's inauguration, wearing a heavy winter coat and large, cozy, multicolored mittens, looking a bit like everyone's favorite grumpy uncle, almost looking like sanctuary personified an image that got everyone's attention and spawned hundreds of memes. It also generated a rush on mittens as thousands of people wanted to get some just like those. Apparently the memes and the mitten orders generated hundreds of thousands of dollars for charities in Sanders' home state of Vermont. But beyond those mittens... Bernie is a firecracker, the longest-serving independent in U.S. congressional history, and a passionate and staunch activist 
for all sorts of humanitarian causes, including affordable health care and the raising of the federal minimum wage. His dedication to such people-oriented causes has given him continuously high approval ratings. Again, that Etznab influence can be seen in the passion that he brings to any debates that he engages in and to all his work as an activist who has long called for such things as criminal justice reform and humanitarian actions to deal with such things as racial issues, gun control, voting rights, and civil rights on many different fronts. Four days after Six Akbal, we come to the day known as Ten Manik, which is the Maya birth energy of Charles Ludwig Dodgson, better known as Lewis Carroll, a 19th century photographer, poet, inventor, and author of books on many topics, including Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. With this ten manique energy, we can see an echoing of the same energies as are represented by the two patrons of the Tresina that I mentioned earlier. The number ten is similar in nature to Miklantagutli, associated with the coldness of death and absolute foundations, while the manique part is representative of the sun, similar in nature to Tonatia, the other patron. As this pertains to Manique, Ten Manique, the related image or the metaphor is the sun being embodied by a deer, representative of harmonization with nature, but also of sacrifice. So here are these two forces working together again, almost as a mirror image of themselves, in this tenth position. And what do we have born under this influence, but someone whose stories about strange adventures with magical creatures have captured people's imaginations for well over 150 years. It's also fascinating that one of these books is called Through the Looking Glass, since mirrors are also symbolic of that etznab energy that's working here in conjunction with Ten Manique. As it happens, when I went to dig a little deeper regarding Lewis Carroll, I discovered that the fabulous Victoria and Albert Museum in London, one of the most fascinating museums in the world, is about to stage, or just starting now, I believe, a fantastic show about him and his creations called Alice, Curiouser and Curiouser. 
in an article pertaining to this show that she titled The Children's Book That's Really for Adults, writer Holly Williams notes that, quote, Alice's adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass are among the most frequently adapted and reinterpreted stories ever written. Alice falls down a rabbit hole and steps through a mirror into worlds where anything can happen, where even the sense of self is transformed, where a drink can make you shrink and a mushroom can make you grow, where babies turn into pigs and a little girl can become queen, where flowers and animals and playing cards all speak, but logic and learning slip out of grasp. Unquote. Let's look a little more closely at what's going on with these works. Firstly, Alice seems to be in constant conversation with beings in both the natural world and her fantasy world. She's speaking to kittens, to the white rabbit, to a hookah smoking caterpillar, to a frog, a pig, a cat, and many others. Through the Looking Glass begins with her admonishing a kitten for doing something naughty. As she's scolding it gently, she asks the kitten if it can play chess. And this transitions into the connection with the Looking Glass. Here's a segment from the story. Let's pretend that you're the Red Queen, Kitty. Do you know, I think if you sat up and folded your arms, you'd look exactly like her. Now do try. There's a dear. And Alice got the Red Queen off the table and set it up before the kitten as a model for it to imitate. However, the thing didn't succeed principally, Alice said, because the kitten wouldn't fold its arms properly. So to punish it, she held it up to the looking glass that it might see how sulky it was. And if you're not good directly, she added, I'll put you through into looking glass house. How would you like that? Now, if you'll only attend to Kitty and not talk so much, I'll tell you all my ideas about Looking Glass House. First, there's the room you can see through the glass. That's just the same as our drawing room, only the things go the other way. I can see all of it when I get upon a chair, all but the bit behind the fireplace. Oh, I do wish I could see that bit. I want so much to know whether they've a fire in the winter. You never can tell, you know, unless our fire smokes. And then smoke comes up in that room too. But that may be only pretense. 
just to make it look as if they had a fire. Well then, the books are something like our books, only the words go the wrong way. I know that because I've held up one of our books to the glass, and then they hold up one in the other room. How'd you like to live in Looking Glass House, Kitty? I wonder if they'd give you milk in there. Perhaps Looking Glass milk isn't good to drink. But, oh, Kitty, now we come to the passage. You can just see a little peep of the passage in Looking Glass House if you leave the door of our drawing room wide open. And it's very like our passage as far as you can see, only, you know, it may be quite different on beyond. Oh, Kitty, how nice it would be if we could only get through into Looking Glass House. I'm sure it's got, oh, such beautiful things in it. Let's pretend there's a way of getting through into it somehow, Kitty. Let's pretend the glass has got all soft like gauze so that we can get through. Why, it's turning into a sort of mist now, I declare. It'll be easy enough to get through. She was up on the chimney piece while she said this, though she hardly knew how she had got there. And certainly the glass was beginning to melt away, just like a bright silvery mist. In another moment, Alice was through the glass and had jumped lightly down into the looking glass room. The very first thing she did was to look whether there was a fire in the fireplace and she was quite pleased to find that there was a real one, blazing away as brightly as the one she'd left behind. So I shall be as warm here as I was in the old room, thought Alice. Warmer, in fact, because there'll be no one here to scold me away from the fire. Oh, what fun it'll be when they see me through the glass in here and can't get at me. So off she goes on an adventure in the story, meeting all sorts of beings, including a fawn that temporarily forgets that it's a deer and that Alice is a human, a classic manique-oriented thread within a tapestry of characters that include Tweedledum and Tweedledee and Humpty Dumpty and Jess characters brought to life. It's looking like this exhibition at the Victoria and Albert Museum is going to cover a lot of territory since the promotion is focusing on how these Alice stories have inspired so many artists in many different ways. They note that some 300 illustrators have offered their interpretations of Alice and how Alice has inspired fashion. It seems that with the UK now opening up and attempting to return to some semblance of normal, 
Museums like this will be doing everything they can to draw people back in. Apparently, this exhibition will be running until the end of the year. I'll have a couple of links in this podcast post in case anyone wants to check into this further. As always, all the days of this Dracaena are highlighted within my Maya Count of Days horoscope blog that can be found at both whitepoppress.ca and mayacalendararts.com. Just click on horoscope blog to take you to that section. For anyone who might like some assistance directly from me in terms of exploring how these energies may work within your own lives, there are a number of options outlined on that Maya Calendar Arts site. Contact information is in the websites if you have any questions. Let's finish up with another little snippet from Lewis Carroll. This one from Alice in Wonderland when she's talking to the Cheshire cat. She asks him, What sort of people live around here? In that direction, the cat said, waving its right paw around, lives a hatter. And in that direction, waving the other paw, lives a March hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad. You're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. I think we can all relate to that on one level or another. And I doubt that even Lewis Carroll could have imagined the madness of the early 21st century. I think that perhaps we are all in a looking glass in one way or another, all trying to figure out which way is up. On that note, hang on to your hats. We could be in for another Mad Hatter's Ride during this Tresina. In any case, be well, keep safe, love to you all.